Six in the morning, as Ice-T used to rap about. Out here, kind of still dark. Got my Knox gear on so people can see me or aim at me. Who knows? Hopefully see me and avoid me. Just doing my morning workouts. Got a 4K to do for a warm-up. Then do a chug 10K. Pick up the car for some lifting later on today. Um, had another listener question talking about modeling and whether you should model yourself after athletes who are achieving what you hope to achieve. And well, yeah, of course, throughout human history, we have apprenticeships and you fall in the footsteps of hopefully giants or at least people who studied what works and what doesn't work. And uh, in endurance running, you know, the giant is Lindry, who came up, Arthur Lindry, who I've spoken about before, came up with kind of the whole concept of, even though he didn't name it 80-20, but, you know, staying healthy, building a base, a really big base, because the issue isn't speed. You got plenty of speed. You just don't have the strength to maintain the speed you have. So, <clears throat> yeah, so you uh, should uh, look at what people have done in the past to achieve the feats that you hope to emulate or achieve yourself and in a marathon and under endurance running pretty much you know it's very competitive and if you look at all the elite athletes they're all doing the same thing you know a lot of easy miles some sharpening work some early test races and then competing sure the elite athletes have more talent perhaps than you yourself but you should be following their plan. I don't know how often I've had athletes say, but Andy, I'm not elite. And that's why I'm, you know, spin class on Monday, Tuesday, run camp, Wednesday, another spin class, Thursday, run camp. And you get the idea. Just every day going hard, going big. And you see it all the time on social media. People just every day killing it. And so you need to model yourself after those who've proven themselves. I got a list I can send you. 3,000 men who ran under 211 for the marathon. And I guarantee you they followed the formula I was talking about. Staying healthy, building a base, and then sharpening. You know, having a peak performance. Not racing year-round, not racing all the time. Not doing hard workouts all the time. Just putting in the mileage. Uh, the guy, Eulid, who recently you know, set the marathon record. That's what he does. <clears throat> he meets with his teammates, fellow athletes, and they train. They build up base for a couple months. And then they have a, you know, interval speed sessions once or twice a week, do some little bit of racing, and then they have their goal race. Um, so in marathons and under, <clears throat> pretty much the keys to success are known, and you do this, and you'll maximize your potential. Now, uh, the issue is, though, like in ultra running, it's getting more and more competitive and more and more people are coming in. But with ultra running, there's a lot of people who are just genetic freaks, experimental one, and they can come and do all this crazy shit and be successful. And But you'll see now more and more in the 50K, 50 mile, you know, they're coming in from a traditional training background of college 
Uh, some of them even ran marathons, qualified for Olympic trials, whatnot. And they're coming in every year and crushing 50Ks, 50 miles. They're not so much doing the, you know, the hundreds because <clears throat> that is a whole other game. But you're going to see that, you know, the science of training is going to slowly, you know, creep into events that are even further than, you know, 50 miles, the 100 mile, the 200 mile. You're going to have less and less of these people who you read about who are doing crazy things like, you know, lifting weights, cross training, uh, dragging tires. That's my favorite one or all that kind of thing. You're going to see more just getting out, putting in miles, uh, specifically training for your event. Um, One of the big things I often get is people, you know, don't understand. They're like, well, I, you know, so-and-so does this, so-and-so does that. And I'm like, so-and-so does that. And despite doing that, they're still really good. They're an experiment of one. Why don't we go with the experiment that always, almost always works for everyone. You know, I coached in high school and we revamped our program, followed the successful programs like a McFarland, like Camp Alindo, uh, uh, Great Oak. And <clears throat> you know what? They follow what the greats before them did. Kids run year-round. They put in the miles. They have off-seasons. Yeah, in the off-season, that's the only time maybe you can go hit the weight room to work on some weaknesses, but they got to be run-specific kind of drills and activities. During the season, Jay Johnson and the Camp Alindo coach, who Division three team whose boys and girls make podium top three every year in California. And that's not just luck, it's hard work. You know, he has his kids do pre-workout drills and after-workout kind of drills. And these are kind of strength and mobility drills. Google Jay Johnson, he's got some great videos on pre-workout drills and then his uh, strength and mobility drills and that's kind of stuff you can do. And he actually tells you to do the strength and mobility right after your workouts to increase the time that your heart rate's up and whatnot. So, so big issue with, uh, sorry, I said, you know, model yourself, but model yourself after, you know, athletes who are, you know, also doing what people did in the past. Yeah, I know things do change, but. They don't change that much. And so since the 60s, 70s, elite athletes have been training a specific way. They tweak it here and there. And like I tell my athletes all the time, that we're making chocolate chip cookies. And there's only certain, you know, there's only certain ingredients for a chocolate chip cookie. And you can only tweak those ingredients a little bit, a little less, little, a little less sugar, a little less baking soda, a little less this, that, a little cooking time this way or another thing. But the bottom line is you cannot tweak it too much or it ain't a chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. So it's all about that. Um, And so it comes to the topic of cross training and people say, but Andy, you know, this study says this, this study says that. And like I brought to my attention the other day that, you know, it's saying about lifting weights is going to help you be healthier and live longer and all that stuff. And I'm like, yes, but when you come to me or you talk to me, I'm going to I assume you want to be the best endurance athlete you can possibly be. And you don't have time to do all that stuff. And it's also 
not really what it's saying isn't exactly what it's saying. It's like, yeah, compared to doing nothing, lifting is going to make you healthier and live longer. But are they looking at, you know, runners who don't lift versus runners who lift? Well, my list of 3,000 men who broke 211, which is sub five minute pace, they don't lift. I guarantee none of them are really lifting. You know, you only have a limited amount of time. You know what? I want everybody out there moving. I don't care what you're doing. They had that thing, that prancing, where you're out here prancing, you know, hiking, fishing, uh, whatever you're out doing, moving. If you're golfing, get rid of the golf cart and walk along. Um, another interesting thing is, you know, about cross training is if you put in your work and you just absolutely have to cross train, research has shown, you know, the 80 20 rule again. So 80% of the time, it's supposed to be easy, 20% hard. So if you go to two, two cross training kind of classes, you know, spin, boot camps, CrossFit, lifting weights, if you could do it easy, maybe it's benefit of mental benefit. But if you're going hard two hours a week in the gym or whatnot, or swimming or cycling, and you're going hard, that means you owe me eight hours of easy. So if you're only doing 10 hours exercise a week, you cannot really be doing any hard training running. Uh, I know people are like, oh, wait, wait, wait. But that's how it is. You know, if you can cross train, and that's why I'm a fan of hot yoga especially. Yeah, it's kind of strenuous, but it does provide some benefits, heat adaption, and, you know, some core strength with yoga. But don't overdo it. So it's like you absolutely have to do something else besides run or walk you got to do it easy. Um, it's just if you're going hard on it, and then you're going hard on your, like my runners used to do, where they're doing spin on Monday, run camp Tuesday, spin on Wednesday, run camp Thursday, long run Saturday. They're just going too hard too often. And you might have some early success, but eventually you get burnt out and, you know, the gains stop happening. So, yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, yes, you should look at what people are doing, you know, your goals, um, and then model yourself, and also really dig deep, <clears throat> a lot of times you got to realize, and nothing <coughs> against the athletes, but you got to realize sometimes what they're telling you in the news, you know, on a, in an article or on a podcast, isn't exactly the truth, a famous runner back in the day, Bob Kennedy, who is the first non-African to go under 13 minutes uh, in the 5K, yada, yada, yada. It was great high school, great college runner, great. He was in the 90s, and, you know, he used to come out saying, oh, I only run, like, you know, 60, 70 miles a week, which was true, sort of. And so all of a sudden, everybody said, oh, you know, we don't have to put in the miles. But later on, when you start talking to him, he's like, well, yeah, that was my, you know, the real workouts, but he was running, you know, five, six miles before each workout, five, six miles after each workout. So guess what? He was doing 120, 140 mile weeks. So he was saying one thing and we were interpreting it different or people were shading it, you know, and I've been interviewed and often they want, you know, the exciting, they don't want to, you know, here's how most training articles should be. So how do you train? Oh, I put in a tons of miles like I'm doing right now. And then once or twice a week, I have a hard workout and I recover as much as I can, and then recover, recover, and then train, 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 
and it's not it's not as cool and exciting you're not you know dramatically throwing weights around on a spin bike sweating grunting and groaning it's just hashtag being boring good afternoon it's wednesday january 16th strange weather here in bakersfield looks like it's gonna rain all day but hasn't hope to go out and hike this afternoon this evening with some of my buddies friends hike clubs are a great way to train if you're an ultra runner because very few of you out there especially you trail runners are running the whole 50 miles 100 miles or whatever long it is and learning how to hike up and down hills comes in handy it's like adding gears to your mountain bike instead of going out there with a two-speed three-speed why not have a 10-speed or whatnot um speaking of that i often see and read all these posts and people forget to kiss it and kiss it means keep it simple well you know what i mean and people just think that they're going to come up with some miracle product or miracle setup that's going to make their running and ultra running so much better and bottom line is you know if all these sports products that you see constantly advertised actually worked you know the people who invented them would be billionaires zillionaires and everyone would run fast no one would ever get injuries yada 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 there's a lot easier way to run faster and stay healthy and not get injuries train properly instead of wasting so much time on shoes and goose and tape and this and that just you know find a pair of socks that works find a pair of shoes that works and train i just see all the time people and i've told some people I'm like, look, the reason you're having these issues isn't your gear. Stop trying to find the miracle shoes, the miracle tape, the miracle stuff to put on your body, whatever. It's like, just why don't you like train properly, stop racing so much, stop obsessing about the gear you're picking all the time because you're just changing the variables so much. If you've got socks and, and inserts in your shoes and tape and then you're lathering your feet up with this, and lathering feet up with that, and then you're wearing compression sleeves, and you're doing so much. How do you figure out what's not working? Keep it simple. I mean, I used to run without socks back in the day, and I, you know, actually many of my friends used to do that. Of course, now I do wear socks. One reason you just had to wear socks is your smell, your shoes smelled so bad. But you know, we got a way of running marathons in just a pair of old school Nikes or Adidas or whatever they were. And that would work. You know, we trained, you know, we were running road races. So, wow, guess what? We actually ran on the roads. I see so many people who profess to be one kind of runner or another kind of runner. And the bottom line is, you know, in train on the roads, you can race anywhere. Train on the trails, the only place you're decent on is maybe the trails. You just, you, know, you just can't get a good workout on the trails. I mean, yeah, you can climb and stuff, but you can't get the consistency. So, I see people all the time after a race after race and they complain that, oh, I had foot problems, oh, I had stomach problems, oh, I had this problem. And they're always constantly changing gear and foods and coming up with all these crazy ideas. They got to bring this gigantic suitcase to a race. And I just like I can't see how people, when they go to races, bring these huge entourages. They bring family and friends and it just seems like so much work and it's like a circus um, you know, you want to keep things simple. It's just plain and simple. That's the best way to go. You know, if you're running your first hundred, leave everybody home. Bring someone like me. Bring a professional. Bring a fellow soldier who's been there, done that. Don't bring your kids, your family, your spouse, your friends. You're trying to do a hundred miles. You need people with you who know 
what you need to do to get going. You don't need to have to worry. Are the kids bored? Are the spouse bored? Are they, are they got a nice place to stay tonight? You want to have people out there who've been there. These people are going to show up at two in the morning and sleep in the dirt until you come into that mile 78 station. Same thing with the gear. If you have all this stuff you've got to wear and use, what if something doesn't make it? What if your luggage gets lost? What if the drop bag doesn't get there? I do most of my races in the same pair of shoes and socks that I start with. And most people I talk to, especially doing 100 milers, I hear people going, well, I'm off 30, I'm going to change any shoes. I'm off 60. No, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you know what? Don't fix it anyways. Just keep going. You know, because you never know. I mean, I wish races would get rid of drop bags. I wish that you had to carry all your stuff the entire way. Well, probably because I use I do loop races, so it's usually a one mile to two or three mile loop, and I can get my stuff again. But you know what? Trail racing, we really honestly should get rid of. You know, Europe don't allow pacers. USTF doesn't allow pacers. You know, even though I love pacing races, really probably should get rid of pacers. We should get rid of drop bags. Yeah, I sound like grandpa. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. But I like to keep it simple. Um, just I another thing that drives me nuts, and I understand. I mean, I put a, help put on races is having all these divisions. That's why I like going to races where there's only one race, like San Diego 100, Western States 100. Um, some marathons, LA Marathon, most part just has the LA Marathon. They did add some silly relay. But I like races where you're at the starting line and everyone's goal is to get to the finish line. Um, another thing that we really need to do with the loop time races and even some of the trail races is we have to keep it simple in that whatever you sign up for, that's the race you run. If you're having a bad day, you get a DNF, big deal. You know, this constantly allowing people to drop down to a lower distance or drop down to a different timed event. Well, you know, you sign up for the 24 hour and things aren't going right and you stop at 12 hours, you get a 24 hour time. You don't get, I mean, distance. You don't get, you know, drop it down to 12. I know I've taken advantage of it in the past, but you know what? We need to change the rule and just say, whatever you sign for, that's the race you're in. So what if you drop out? So what if, I mean, I have a 72-hour finish where I drove up to the Bay Area. Now it was Gilroy or something. And I, at first I was kind of excited when I first heard a 72-hour race. But I went up there not feeling well. It was a night start, which I used to think I liked, but ooh, night starts are terrible. You got to run all night and then keep on running. So 72-hour race, a couple hours into it, I'm going super slow, 16, 17, 18-minute miles. Four or five hours in, I actually took a break. So now it's like 11 o'clock at night. And I wasn't feeling very well, and I knew it was going to rain the next day. And so, you know what? I knew I could get home. I packed my stuff up, drove home, got back to Bakersfield like at 4 in the morning, slept for 12 hours, heard that it was pouring rain at the race. And so I have like a 20-something mile, 72-hour. Hey, I own it. I signed up for 72. I did 20-something miles. So, anyways, I know it sounds like a bit of a rant, but just going over looking at my Facebook and Instagram feed, and I just see all these people with all doing all these things, but just going out and running or hiking, you know, spending so much time on gear. And, you know, I used to be an econ major. And, you know, they talked about that, like in America, the United States, like 65, 70 percent of our economy is consumerism. You know, we buy stuff. That's how the, we, how the world turns. But, you know, you don't really need to buy all these products. And I know so many people swear by them. And, my gosh, you see all the ambassadors for all these products. You might notice that I don't really – I'm not an ambassador for anything. Some reason people won't get me – hook me up, but that's okay. I mean, I've been wearing uh, ultra running shoes since 2014. Only gotten blisters really bad once, and that was when it was rocks at the uh, six-day. 
and uh, been wearing smart wool socks forever. You know, so I found what works, ultra shoes, smart wool. For the past year, the ultras I've been wearing, I haven't particularly liked, but thankfully I've got these new ones, the, um, I don't even know the name, Olympus 3s. Olympus 2 sucked, Olympus 1 and 1.5 and were decent. So for about a year, I was kind of a man without a shoe. Thankfully, you got these Olympus 3s, and they work out. So, you know, I sold it. I got two things. I wear the same shirts all the time. People always know me by my plaid shirts. I like them from REI. What I really like about them is they got pockets because when I was coaching high school, I was the one who always had to carry car keys and carry insurance cards, and I couldn't imagine doing a race without pockets. I put my phone in there, chargers, all those kind of things. So kind of the uh, this is all about just, you know, kissing it, keeping it simple, Stop trying to find the magic bullet because there is no magic bullet. Good evening. It's a Celtic Winter Classic Eve. Just trying to go to sleep. Trying to pack some. And uh, this way, uh, looking through some of my feeds and answering some questions. And it reminds me of, and I, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts. Um, usually my training works out that uh start the morning off with a 5k to 10k walk and I always listen to podcasts while I'm walking and then I try and mix in some running or faster pace uh, walking and then I listen to music a lot of us listen to above and beyond podcast or Paul Oakenfield podcast and sometimes just good old Spotify got 10,000 songs on there and I hit rant, hit shuffle and just go for a run or faster pace so one of the podcasts of course uh, obviously I'm influenced by Adam Carolla and Joe Rogan um, one of the podcasts that I'm influenced by, too, is Best of the Left, regardless of your politics, just like Jay, and he compiles all these clips from all these sources. But one of the things I really liked about Jay was he used to often say in his show, you know, that he's always right. And at first that sounds kind of arrogant and pompous. But what he meant is he's always right because if he's wrong, he will change his mind, you know. And I often feel that way and that I try to find the best information I can and then I preach that as most of you know or um, impart that knowledge until I'm proven or I find out that you know empirically that that's wrong and of course the way I make those judgments is you know I did go to UC San Diego got a degree in animal physiology which is basically pre-med you know got bees and that's why I'm not a doctor because I wasn't really that interested in killing myself in class and realized that there were other things I'd rather do, like work at the record store, uh, do triathlons, run, surf, and just realized I was never made out to be a doctor. And then later in life, I went and back to school when my son, Christopher, um, was in college, you know, when he was 12, going to Bears College, and my wife was going to school. I went back to school originally to get a business master's, which was a really stupid idea. Met Dr. Barry, who was an econ teacher. He talked me into taking econ classes, and I ended up getting a degree in economics. I often say I took the uh, Dr. Barry uh, College of Economics because I took six classes with him. He's a sports economist. You can Google him. He's Wages of Wind, Wins on Twitter. Really like his stuff. And um, so, you know, I look at things from uh, a science background and an economics background. And so, like I said, I generally think my ideas are correct and if they aren't correct you know and i'm proven wrong i'm more than i'm more than welcome to i'll change my mind change my mind over the years but one of the things that i really haven't changed my mind on and i just almost can't even be on social media anymore looking at all the crazy nutty ideas people have about endurance training um especially when it comes to running 
you know, which is what I do. I coach runners, and I've been an athlete runner since 79. Don't run as much as I used to just because my running has gotten so slow. So I'm more of an endurance walker. But the concepts are the same kind of thing. And it's just, you know, I would say I got a list here of 3,000 guys who broke 211 in a marathon. It's five-minute miles. And you know how they got there? They stayed healthy. They built a base, did a little bit of speed work, and didn't race a lot. Had some build-up races, and then they crushed it. And that's just the way it is. You cannot become a better runner by spending time in the gym unless you're injured or something but you know you can't be killing it every day I see over and over my feet is just full of people being epic and being epic many times a week instead of just being boring I know this is a rant but oh my gosh just it, almost every day I just see things and people say oh well I you know oh isn't that cute that's quaint yeah I, I get it but you don't know what you're talking about grandpa and they just say thanks for the input but I'm gonna do you know I'm gonna go and I'm an ultra runner so I'm on a spin bike I'm in a CrossFit class I'm lifting weights I'm doing all this insane stuff or I'm a marathoner I want to go to Boston well it's simple to get to Boston put in 70 80 miles a week of running stay healthy build a base and you'll get fast it's just it, that's how it works i mean until proven otherwise and all of you guys i'm more than welcome you can find me on i got email any noise gmail yahoo you know all the social medias send me all the scientific journals saying that your methods work and show me all the world championships and all the world records set in any sport swimming running cross-country skiing cycling they're not doing what you guys are advocating and it's, I mean, I'm sorry, it sounds like a rant, but you're putting all this stuff and it gives people who are new a bad idea of what they're supposed to do for the sport. They think that they got to make it every day epic. They got to be like Rocky running up the staircase with their arms in the air or puddles of sweat on the ground. And you're just making things worse. You're not helping people. I know this sounds like a rant. I guess it is a rant. But you know what? The Kenyans are not going out every day and killing themselves. You know, they get up at 6 in the morning, they go do an hour run. Then they run at lunch and they run in the evening. A couple times a week, they run hard. Yeah, sometimes on their easy days, the last two, three miles, they let it rip and they try and, you know, kill one another. But most of the time, they follow the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of the time is easy, 20% of the time is hard. They have off-seasons. They build up for a season for months and months of just doing a lot of easy miles. You don't believe me? Google it. Google Kenyan training. Google Arthur Lindry. Look at what the you know Hanson Distance Project. Look at what Jason Coop's saying. Look at any coach who's got athletes who are doing well or athletes who are doing well. They're not going in the gym every day and killing it. You know, I'm a big fan of all sports. I want people out there being active and enjoying themselves, but you can't kill it every day. You know, I love watching these CrossFit stuff, but what they're doing and going so hard every day, all out max, it's just not sustainable. You know, you can do it for a while. It's kind of like I keep saying, but anyways, I guess I just really can't even like look at Instagram. I mean, I get it. People, you know, you're not going to put a photo of here I am out walking. <laughs> here I'm out jogging. <laughs> here I'm having an easy run on a flat road. It's always I'm climbing this thing. I'm lifting this thing. I'm throwing this thing. I'm killing myself. I'm on my hands and knees puking. Da, 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 da. I just beat another Strava segment. Um, you know, if your goal is to be a workout pony, knock yourself out.
But like I said, when I'm coaching athletes, that's not my goal with them. My goal is to maximize their performance in the chosen endurance event, whether it be running, hiking. I've worked with triathletes in the years. I used to do triathlons. You know, and, you know, I'm going to stick to my guns. And like I said, I think I'm right because I know that the legends of the sport have been coaching it this way and the athletes who are successful train this way. And you know, if I'm wrong, send me the information and I'll change my mind. But so far, I've been asking for a long time and haven't ever gotten anybody send me real data showing this works. They'll say, well, so-and-so does this or so-and-so. And I go, yeah, but where are the numbers? It's kind of like when I was coaching cross-country here in Bakersfield. Um, I would tell parents straight up freshman year, I'd go, you know, your daughter's not playing college soccer. And they'd be like, oh, well, you just don't know what you're talking about. I go, well, she's a good runner. You know, running's black and white. You know, she runs this time, she'll get a scholarship. And then every year, you know, I would say to coaches, if they'd get on me, I'd say, okay, show me the list of girls got Division One scholarships this year for soccer. And, you know, it'd always be silence or like, oh, well, this was a down year. And I'm like, every year's a down year. You know, they get mad at me. This is probably why people get mad at me. But I'd just say, show me the numbers. It's kind of like Adam Kroll, is in, he says all the time, he goes, secondhand smoke. And believe me, I hate, I brought this up before, I hate smoking, just find it absolutely disgusting, can't be around it. I don't mean I don't want to be around it, of course I own a record store, so back in the day, I come home and I have to take a shower and leave my clothes out on the patio because it smells so bad from smoke. But you know, they keep carpet on secondhand smoke. Well, as Adam Kroll says, where are the bodies? If secondhand smoke really was that bad, people like me and Adam and other people in the 50s and 60s, we should be keeling over from secondhand smoke. I can't, I just remember just walking in a haze all the time. So, sure, it's disgusting, and yeah, your Aunt Ethel, who never smoked and maybe died from secondhand smoke, I, I, I get it, but where are the numbers? There should just be thousands and millions of people. So, anyways, I guess I just got to quit looking at um, Instagram and seeing all these photos of people doing stuff that just doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes a great photo, and or I guess I just got to not make a comment. Um, you know, there's the old adage that... Uh, free advice is what you pay for it and I guess I really need to just shut up good morning January 22nd a Tuesday chilly out here in Bakersfield California well chilly for me out walking get my three mile warm up in and it's like in the 40s and pretty dang cold I know you people that live in the east coast or up in Canada are laughing right now at me but I'm a desert guy and I like my 100 degree weather but out here doing this today i i just want to thank all you listeners and uh just i i really like doing this podcast um mainly because uh you know i used to listen to dave ramsey's podcast he's a financial guru seven baby steps to financial freedom you know he's all about no debt and one of the things he often says on his show is that free advice is worth what you pay for it and over the years you know people talk to me I you know give out my advice or what you know my knowledge and you know it seems like you know most of them never listen (laughs) and then years later they'll uh, contact me about coaching and then all of a sudden you know and main reason I I think I really charge money for coaching is you know it's nice to have a little extra money but I'm not making I'm not getting rich doing it but it's more if you pay me some money then all of a sudden I'm a genius or you listen to me and it's I've had this happen so many times where I'll meet someone talk to them tell them 
my ideas and thoughts about endurance training. And they'll nod and shake their heads, and then I'll watch them over the year. Not really keep doing what they were doing, hoping for different results. And uh, so, and then eventually, maybe they, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm walking down Chester Avenue. Eventually, they'll contact me about coaching, and then, you know, sign up, and all of a sudden, listen and start doing what I've suggested. You know, and I don't know, it's kind of like it reminds me watching all these uh, law shows, Law and Order or whatever, and there'll be the lawyer in the room talking to somebody, and all of a sudden the lawyer will say, give me 20 bucks. And the person will be like, why? And they go, just give me $20. And then the person hands the the lawyer 20 bucks, okay, and says, okay, now you're my client and we have confidentiality. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of not exactly the same thing, but it always strikes me as kind of the position I'm in. You know, this is my 10th year of coaching adults full time before that I coached high school cross country and track. And of course there we definitely had kids, you know, paying attention to what we said, but of course we also were seeing them every day. And so we could, uh, keep track of them a lot easier. So like I said, um, just, I'm always amazed, you know, because I pretty much, this uh, podcast is a great outlet for me just to, uh, I don't know, vent, (laughs) you know, so I see things going on that drive me nuts, but it also helps me, like, if I see something, I can just talk about it, like, watching people who are training for 100-mile races, jumping up and down on boxes, you know, plyometrics, stuff that guys, you know, are playing in the NBA or the NFL might need because they need explosive power, you know, and instead of, like, making a comment or trying to reason with people, now I can just get on my phone and talk about what I saw, why I think it's wrong, and I might be wrong. You know, someday someone may be breaking two hours or breaking an hour 50 in the marathon because they spent their entire career in the gym becoming a better runner. I doubt it, but, you know, according to the experts that I see, that's the way they think things are going to go. Of course, they're all experiments of one and one or whatever. So anyways, I just want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I have kind of revamped my Patreon page. We'd love to uh, have any of you, if you want to become a patron, go there. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, get a few things if you do become a patron, depending on the levels. I do have like a, a coaching exclusive page that you can get added to. Um, you can also get a premium account on uh, <coughs> Training Peaks. If you sign up for Training Peaks, I will upgrade you to a premium account, um, and then you can at least upload your information there. And I, and I check it from time to time. And then you at higher levels, you not only get a premium account, but you get coaching from myself. And uh, I'm also in the works. I've got a Western States experience coming up. I have a four bed, five person max cabin, six, seven miles from the Western States finish. It's going to be on Thursday and Friday is when I have the cabin. And then of course I'm going to be on the course throughout the race. And so if you're a runner and you have a pacer and crew and you're looking for somewhere, you might be interested in that. Or if you just want to go to Western States and see what it's like and hang out with me, I haven't completely figured out exactly what I'm going to do with the cabin, but I will have my Prius. I plan on driving up there and lifting along the way. 
and then also lifting during the uh, Thursday and Friday. Unless, of course, I have someone who's interested in just doing the whole Western States experience with me. Good morning. It's hump day, and it's cold here in Bakersfield, January 22nd or 23rd or something like that. Anyways, uh, very chilly, like 40. I know you guys are all laughing at me, but for me it was cold. And uh, just got done doing a 10-minute warm-up, 60-minute supposedly run, and 10-minute cool-down. Of course, my run was painfully slow. But got to do some running to uh, finish some of these races, some of these marathons and whatnot with the six-hour cutoffs. And so I'm out here doing my run. I was looking on the internet and saw this uh, article by Molly Huddle, one of our premier distance runners, and uh, a lot of good insight into that on that article. And one of them was uh, framing the situation or framing your mind, some mind tricks to do during your race, not tricks, just things to help you when you're racing. And uh, one of the things she talks about is, you know, you're at the starting line and it's kind of intimidating. There's all these fast people and, you know, you know, don't let that spook you, freak you out, you know, because no matter what, there's someone faster than them probably. But also, like she says, you know, you know, eventually, like in her case, she's going to painfully get dropped sometime during the race or might she might win. But, you know, you have to frame it in terms of a positive aspect and that one of the reasons we go to races and definitely prove that point this morning is to have people push or pull us along so that we can see our limits or get to reach our potential. You know, if you're just going out and uh, pushing yourself, it's kind of hard. I mean, I've been at this game since 1979. So like right now, I barely broke 17 minute pace for my uh, 60 minute supposed uh, marathon pace run. But in a race, I'll run, you know, under 12, you know, so, you know, you look at it when you're at a race, don't get spooked, don't get frightened or intimidated by the faster athletes. Use them as motivation. Um, you know, have them help help you perform at your best. That's kind of the point of competition. Competition isn't necessarily just to beat others, but it's to bring out the best in you. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, this past weekend, just a few weeks removed from my uh, six-day experience, I'm tired and you know, I can put the miles in and, you know, a lot of my friends here in Bakersfield were all trying to get to 100K. So that was a good goal to get to 100K. You know, if it wasn't up to uh, Randall and Charlie Shin going to 100K, I might have stopped at 50 miles. It sure sounded good. So, you know, I ended up going to 100K. Um, and so I kind of helped use them as motivation to get me going. And then I came out in the morning and did a lap or two with some friends because I knew they were all out there all night, wanted to help them out. Um, one thing I definitely do in races of any distance, especially longer races like half marathons and beyond, is when I'm not feeling good, I often seek out someone around me who seems to be in a worse situation than me. And because, uh, you know, if you have a job, you don't feel as bad. You know, if you're focusing on someone else more than your own, you can just get together and become a band of uh, brothers, band of sisters whatnot and be able to push each other and pull each other along to better to greater success and uh highly recommend that and i will post in the liner notes uh a link to the article where she talks about other things that she does mentally for a race but uh framing the situation you know go into a race and you realize like okay i've done training or what training i've done is what i've done and 
just go in and try and be the best you can be on that day. Um, you're not necessarily going to win every day, you know, in terms of you're going to go faster, longer than ever before. But every race is unique, you know, and you should just learn. I always tell my athletes, you got to learn to enjoy the process. And then the race is just kind of a celebration of what you've been doing or what you haven't been doing. But every race, you learn something, you learn something new, and hopefully, you know, you will change your ways and uh, improve upon that. It was kind of funny, uh, ultra runner memes on Instagram, I'm not sure the exact name, but they had this picture from uh, Ozarks where the girls saying something, the caption is, you know, when your usual race day strategy doesn't work, you know, all crap kind of thing. And I was thinking, well, most of the races I'm at, I see people doing the usual race day strategy. It never works. So if you're constantly blowing up in races, change your focus, you know, enjoy the day, um, change some things up. Don't go blasting off in the morning and then dying in the evening. And, uh, also don't look at your fellow athletes as competitors, but look at them as people who are helping you reach your goals.